Hi, I'm Paul Srivastava, and in this podcast series, I'm talking to science fiction authors about the future. I think their unique way of looking at things can give us valuable insights into how we can create the kind of world we want and avoid the kind we don't. We are all hoping that science is going to come and save us from the disaster and the havoc that we wreaked. And that's not the way it's going to work. Today, I'm speaking to Fernanda Trias, a Uruguayan novelist and short story writer. She's also a lecturer in creative writing at the Universidad de los Andes in Bogota. Her book, Pink Slime, was recognized as one of the best literary works by a female author in the Spanish-speaking world. We discussed her inspiration, whether dystopian horror can bring about change, and the importance of bringing the arts and sciences together. I hope you enjoy. So welcome, Fernanda. Thank you very much for joining us on this podcast series. I'd like to begin by asking you if you can talk a little bit about your own background and your relationship with science. Well, actually, I come from a family where science and art have always been intertwined. My father was a doctor. I grew up, for example, playing in the corridors of hospitals, and my father would talk about the human body, and for me, it was very interesting. But at the same time, I had more like a humanistic inclination, so I ended up studying human studies. I worked for many years as a translator, but I specialized in medical texts. In translation, I found a way of uh, having both, right? On the one side, languages that I love, And on the other hand, I could do research, learn. Wonderful. Your new exciting book that is getting translated, Pink Slime, into English. Can you tell us a little bit about the general theme of the book and how you talk about science and the organization of science in this work? Actually, Pink Slime is one of those things that I discovered when I was still doing medical translations. In this dystopian novel, there has been an environmental catastrophe. And I thought, well, let's imagine a country where the thing they have to feed the population is this paste that is called pink slime, pejoratively. All the trimmings and all the little bits and pieces of the carcasses, the livestock, are heated at really, really high temperatures. Then they are centrifuged to remove the fat from the meat, and there results a paste that is very pink, that looks like a toothpaste. The two main characters, the narrator is a woman, and she takes care of a a child who has a rare disease. One of the many symptoms that it has is the person is always hungry. The brain doesn't receive the signal that says, okay, that's enough. So it's a, it's a very painful syndrome. And this, this woman is taking care of a child who cannot stop eating in a world where there is a, a shortage of food. And uh, this pink slime is the main food available. That is so powerful. And one hope is that this kind of trope of horror and dystopia shocks people and, and gets them to change behaviors towards being more sustainable, either in nutrition of their own body or uh, in burning carbon or what have you. Do you think science fiction can really bring about a change in mindset? 
I don't know, but um, every dystopian novel contains at least some echo of reality. I have the feeling that as a society, we are in denial right now of, of what's going on with climate change. And it's normal because it's so scary. And also because um, individuals, we don't feel we can do much to change what's going on. We feel this frustration, but that's why I think it's so important for art to bring the subject and to make it available for people because it creates a, a tangible example of what could happen. And suddenly we can imagine this the whole world with all these consequences and the details and how this would affect normal everyday people. And that's how we can start talking about this. There are these ways of thinking of ourselves as separate from nature. But there is an alternative. The indigenous view of the world in many countries uh, is much more holistic and much more inclusive that we are nature. We are part of the web of nature. And if we do something to it, it also comes back and affects us. Would you think that that would be helpful in us overcoming some of these challenges? I love what Vandana Shiva, Indian philosopher, eco-feminist, she talks about the eco-apartheid that there's a separation between humans and the rest of nature. It would be important for science to learn from, from that paradigm because many of these visions from indigenous people, peoples here in, in, in Colombia, we have many, they can be regarded as less scientific. In that sense, science sometimes can be very arrogant, right? That's why I think that the eco-feminist uh, way of thinking could help a lot. And also having more women working in science could bring about that change. And right now in, in Latin America, there are authors that are looking towards these other forms of knowledge and writing science fiction from there. I think that's very, very interesting. Very interesting. Do you reckon that uh, certain scientific and technological developments are actually damaging to earth systems and what could be the role of science fiction in preventing that what i sometimes have the feeling is that uh, science is like a good mother that is running behind the spoiled child that is wreaking havoc in the house and the mother is running behind just picking up the toys <laughs> right <laughs> so science right now is this safety net that we are all hoping that science is going to come and find a way to save us from the disaster and the havoc that we wreaked. And, and that's not the way it's going to work. If we take the case of food, for example, there are est estimates that the planet will need to produce 60% more food by 2050 to sustain the world's growing population. That's going to be really difficult. There are scientific innovations already going in that direction, thinking, well, how can we uh, genetically modify crops or seeds to make them heat resistant. But then if you think about it, around 30% of the food produced in the world right now is lost or wasted. And it's hand in hand with capitalism, of course. So what we need is a change. Science fiction helps us, even if it doesn't come up with a solution, of course, but at least uh, it helps exploring the problem and it helps posing the question. The point you're making about 
arts or narrative shaping the question. This goes to the heart of what some people are calling transdisciplinary scientific research, where research is done in co-creation with stakeholders. And that's why it's so important to integrate, you know, the humanities and science, because the problems that we are facing right now spill across borders and fields of knowledge. So we take climate change, it's not just an environmental issue. Any decision has an enormous economic and social impact. We need to think about the needs of each community in its context before implementing whatever we want to implement. You have to think how it's going to work in community with those particular challenges. So this is a very important point, the issue of localizing, not just being stuck with general solutions, but customizing them to the local cultural context. That is really the key to solution. And that, to me, is, again, somewhat outside the realm of traditional normal science. What suggestions might you have for scientists to engage in this kind of outputs? This idea that uh, scientific research and art are separate is is very widespread. However, I think they have more things in common than we think because we they both require curiosity and then the willingness to connect two ideas that look uh, far apart. Connecting the dots to make a bigger pattern. And this is to me an artistic move. It is not a scientific move. Exactly, but I think probably the best scientists are the ones that have this kind of uh, thinking. You know, this creative mind. Creativity is something that is not just for some people that are artists. We are all creative people. When I started writing, uh, thinking about the novel that, that would later be Pink Slime, I had some uh, elements that looked completely uh, unrelated. For example, the Pink Slime is based, the child with this particular syndrome. This is like a, you know, like a patchwork, but for me as a writer, I need to trust this intuition. I knew they belonged together. I didn't know how. Thank you for listening to this podcast from the International Science Council's Center for Science Futures, done in partnership with the Arthur C. Clarke Center for Human Imagination at UC San Diego. Visit futures.council.science to discover more work by the Center for Science Futures. It focuses on emerging trends in science and research systems and provides options and tools to make better informed decisions.